Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Yeah, what's out there, Boogie Cats? Hope things are good in your world. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams. Here, this is Electric Liberty Land, episode 30, guys, which means you can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL30, and you can get all the show notes for today's program. Also want to give a quick shout out at the top of the show to our sponsor, Martin Armory. If you've not visited martinarmory.com, please do check that out. They've got some awesome prices on the top 25 most popular firearms out there. Pistols, shotguns, you name it. They've got it. Rifles, etc. So please do check them out. I mean, you're not going to find better prices anywhere. You'll be helping us out and getting yourself a fine, fantastic firearm to protect you, your loved ones, cap some deer, whatever you want to do legally. <laughs> I say go do it. So check out martinarmy.com and also put in the code LIONS at checkout and you will get free shipping. You can't beat that deal. By the way, side note, I'm looking out the window right now recording this podcast and I've seen about 45 crows fly around. So if I just drop dead during the middle of this, uh, you know, I hope somehow someone finds this recording and blames the crows as the, as the ominous sign of doom that they are. But still, I'm going to leave a note for my wife right on the desk that says, complete the podcast. And she'll probably think that was like what I want on my tombstone. So <laughs> you could visit me and it'll say, complete the podcast on my tombstone when I'm found. Um, guys, welcome. Welcome, welcome. There's a lot going on today, like a crazy amount of news where I actually had to cross things off the list that I'm not going to be able to talk about. Because there's so much news breaking today, including finding that uh, this guy who was an IT staffer named Imran Awan, I believe I'm saying that correctly, Imran Awan, and he has uh, two other brothers, the Awan brothers, they worked for Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC. They worked for some 30 staffers, 30 different congressmen and senators and their staffs. All, all in that uh, Washington, D.C. little clusterfuck that they've got going on there. This guy, Imran, was just arrested at Dulles Airport trying to flee the country, and they arrested him for bank fraud. Now, I'm going to go into this a little bit more, but I do want to tell you, uh, I've, I've the things I've cut out, some of which are Rand pluses and minuses. I was going to do a, a bit today with the Rand pluses and minuses. I know you guys love. I was going to bring it back around today, but there's too much going on. So... That has been relegated to the members of our pride. That is for uh, exclusive content now for them only since I've got to uh, to trim and I've got to put that in a little special section for them. So I'm sorry for you regular listeners, but please do check out the pride. You know what? You can get in there for 25 bucks. You can join us on calls. You can get all the special content, free t-shirts, and you can join for as little as five bucks and you still get the special content. You just don't get all the other things like being able to talk to me. In person on Skype, you can see how many days I've gone without shaving and uh, probably see the hangover in my eyes. So check that out, guys. But now getting back to this. So this guy, Imran Iwan, is a bigger deal than you can imagine. 
because he's kind of the linchpin to a lot of the shady goings on, especially tying this all into the whole Russia hacking scandal and the, uh, the uh, you know, accusations of collusion going on between Trump and Russia and saying that Russia had hacked the DNC on behalf of Trump and trying to affect the election. Uh, you know, this narrative may all come crumbling down. Now, I can't say it definitively, but let me spell out why this is important and how this all works out. So as you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, chairwoman, former chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee, close buddy-buddy friends with Hillary Clinton, obviously uh, very tight with her and her campaign. Now, Debbie had employed these brothers, the Awan brothers. They were employed, they're Pakistani nationals that had come over here. And, I, and again, I curious decisions. We're talking about you know, allowing people in on certain cybersecurity initiatives. So they're they're Pakistanis, and I know we've got good relations with Pakistan, but still, you bring them into this country. They've been employed for over like a decade by the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, working on the highest levels of IT and have access to all the servers. Like I said, there are some 30 different members between the House and the Senate who had been using these guys as consultants, as IT specialists to come in and do their thing. So they had access to everything going on, everything in and out, any material that you saw that was supposedly leaked by Russia, that also very easily could have been leaked by these gentlemen. And these gentlemen also could very easily have imprinted the Russia stamp. You know, they said, oh, well, we, the reason we know it was Russia was because you can see they've got this signature uh, from, so you know it's Russian uh, infiltration that happened. Meanwhile, another CIA document came out later on, which basically said, oh, no, that's all crap. We can make it look like anybody did it. It's very easy to insert this little tag or this little uh, watermark indicator on something to make it look like somebody from Russia or Pakistan or Poland did it even. Doesn't matter. So again, you've got this guy and his brothers. The two brothers have already fled to Pakistan. They're already gone. But this guy, Imran, gets arrested for bank fraud. And the reason it's bank fraud is because P has been accused of overcharging or double charging for tech expenditures. So if he's buying a server, he charged him twice or three times as much, or he charged him for three servers and really got one. But he's been getting paid millions of dollars on top of that, just on top of the charges between he and the other brothers for many, many years. So it brings up a whole host of questions. Like they said it's added something like $5 million in total is what they're saying at this point he was paid. So you got $5 million being paid by who? Debbie Wasserman Schultz? She doesn't have that money. So clearly this is being paid by the DNC as a whole. So you go, okay, why are they paying this guy that much money? I know government overpays for things, but to the tune of $5 million. And then here's what's even more suspicious is that he gets found out as having this, you know, this accents to high level servers and they cut him out. They say, wait, wait we got to stop this. We got to cut this guy off. So they do. They cut him off. So he has no access, neither him nor his brothers. Yet Debbie Wasserman Schultz, despite quote unquote firing him, still had him on her payroll. And to this day, he was still on her payroll. She says that, you know, he had he had been cut off and he was his services were no longer being utilized. But again, he's on the payroll. Why is he being paid? What secrets is he being paid to keep? 
Now, if he did have access to all these servers, as we know he did, uh, it brings up a lot of other questions because it brings up what did he know about Seth Rich? And I don't want to go too far down the conspiracy hole here, but Seth Rich, if you're not familiar with him, was a Democratic National Committee uh, member who was working trying to support Bernie Sanders and found out about all the shady shenanigans that Hillary Clinton and the DNC were pulling together, colluding, if you will, to screw Bernie Sanders out of a possible fair nomination process. He then, in theory, again, this has all been put together and pieced in the background by people over at Anonymous and uh, the 4chaners of the world, but they do have a good track record of being able to figure this stuff out. But they put together that this guy, Seth Rich, was this panda, panda for Bernie, which was his, uh, his name that he used, that was leaking documents, that was coming out and threatening to expose all of this. So, of course, who turns up dead? With something like, you know, a uh, an official story is that it was a robbery, even though he had his wallet with the money in it, all of his cell phone, his keys, everything that he had on him was intact. His rings, his jewelry. But it was a quote unquote botched robbery is how this turned up. And he was murdered, murdered in D.C. before he could speak, before he could really get it out there. And there's a whole long line if you want to google clinton murders there is or actually or uh arkansas which is a play on arkansas and suicide there are numerous websites tying in all of these potential murders that the clintons took part in to protect their interests so seth rich would be the latest of these murders if that is to be believed so this guy you know uh emoir <laughs> probably messing that up again. Imran, <laughs> sorry, Imran, he might sing like a canary. Now that he's being held for bank fraud, he's got two options. If you're, if you're going to buy into this concept that he knows a lot more than people are comfortable with. Question number one, why is he fleeing the country? Okay, because he's trying to uh, avoid this bank fraud. So he's got an option. Number one is he goes to jail for bank fraud. However, Knowing what we know that the Clintons are possibly, allegedly capable of, and again, I'm not accusing anybody of anything here, but what they're allegedly capable of in making sure that he commits Arkansas with two bullets in the back of the head that's ruled a suicide, which is traditionally how it's gone down. He can either go and make a deal with the government, presuming somebody at the government would actually listen to him on this and not just bury it, but make a deal with the government to expose it. And say, okay, you put me in a protection program, you get me out of the country, do whatever, but I'll sing, I'll tell you exactly what's going on here, and I'll expose all these secrets. That's option number one. Option number two, he keeps his mouth shut, he pled uh, not guilty to the charges of bank fraud. I'm sure that the Clintons and the DNC will bend over backwards to try to make it seem as though he did not do anything wrong, especially having been employed there for like 10 years and to the tune of millions and millions of dollars paid out, knowing what he knows, they may just try to bury that, bury it deep and try to make like it's it's all good. And maybe they'll say, oh, it was an error on our part. We had no idea that this was going on. We accidentally, we forgot we did order three servers or something like that. Now, I would still say, though, even if that's the case, if he stays in this country, I still think that he's going to end up in a puddle of his own blood. <laughs> I mean, I, at this point, have pretty much fully bought into 
the Clintons' corruption. I would not put anything past them. I think we've seen the kind of people they are. And there's just honestly so many connections that it does make you think that they can't have nothing to do with these deaths. We've seen all the corruption with the Clinton Foundation. That's also tied into all this. He had access to all the Clinton Foundation servers as well, working within that. So again, this is a really interesting development. I am fascinated to see what happens. And again, if I was taking money, I would put, I, I would say the odds of this guy ending up dead whether he commits suicide in his jail cell or something happens where he just ha- eats one too many hot dogs and it turns out he's allergic to hot dogs somehow that nobody knew about, I would say three to one odds he ends up dead. That's what I'm posting it at, three to one odds. So it's been, a, again, exciting, exciting stuff happening here. And, uh, you know, I'm not too proud to do a little bit of conspiracy talk. So there you go. There's a little conspiracy talk at the top of the show. We'll see what shakes out with this story. Now then, Let's move on to the other breaking news that come out of today. And again, I'm recording this on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, day before you're going to hear it. But the healthcare vote, or actually, I shouldn't even call it a vote. It was a vote on a procedural matter within the Senate to advance <laughs> the conversation about healthcare. Effectively is what they voted on today. And it passed. It was a 50 50 tie. Rand Paul did, in fact, vote yes to move the procedural vote forward so that they can look at certain proposals on the table, one of which is a 2015 repeal of the ACA, which is what Rand Paul is for and why he voted for this. Another one is a Ted Cruz proposal that would essentially create catastrophic insurance again. But even that, there's, and also it would cut back on some Medicaid, but even that, Well, you'd say, okay, well, that's a good thing. If you can buy catastrophic insurance again, great. But the problem is that the deal that Ted Cruz has made still lumps that in with all of the other insurance. So it's not its own high-risk pool. It's still lumped in with everything else so that it's not really going to do as much as we'd hope. It might help a little bit, but not to the extent that we'd want, not where it's going back to the way it used to be, not where it's it's divvying out and cutting out the most absolute high-risk people and putting them in their own a more expensive pool or putting them into Medicaid or something like that. No, it's still going to be difficult, but at least it's moving the conversation forward somewhat. So there is potential for a full repeal if Rand Paul gets his way, or there's a potential for a quote unquote skinny repeal, which is what Mitch McConnell's throwing out there. And nobody knows what the hell that is. Even Rand Paul had basically said, I don't think anybody actually knows what they're going to be voting for when we vote today. And I think that is the God's honest truth. There are a ton of proposals out there. This is basically to move these forward, which there's still going to be a ton of conversation and debate and negotiation about it. And that's what drives me so goddamn nuts when I'm looking at Twitter or Facebook today. Because as I did before, when the, you know, when this whole thing happened the first time around or the second time around, and everybody was saying, oh my God, Republicans just took away 24 million um, healthcare from 24 million Americans. No, that's not what happened. What they did was vote to discuss taking away health care. And even that, it's not taking away health care. That is the projected amount of Americans who will not even lose health care. who will either opt out or potentially lose health care over the next 10 years. So by 2026, that's what they're saying. But, you know, progressives and the people who are healthcare nuts and don't know what the hell they're talking about, but like to, to pretend that they're, they care and, and that they are well-informed, even though they don't know shit. These people all took today to Twitter and Facebook and said, oh my God, the Republicans just took away 34 million Americans' healthcare 
because under the new plans that they put out there, like the Ted Cruz plans and the other ones, uh, or the full repeal of Obamacare, they say that 34 million would lose. And again, this is all BS. It's not, it's, they don't believe it. It's not, those people are not losing healthcare overnight, but you never know it in a million years. You'd never know it from reading what these people are tweeting out there. Now, the other thing I want to talk about on this on this note is Pence broke the tie. I'm sure that made all the all the progressives super happy that Mike Pence, even more hated than Trump, I would argue, uh, got to break the tie and push it forward. In the meantime, there are all these protesters that that rallied around the Senate today. You know, they're they're sitting out there and they're chanting, uh, "Don't kill us, kill the bill." Okay, so you know, because again, if they if you take care healthcare away, these people are immediately going to keel over and die. So, don't kill us, kill the bill. And also shouting, shame, shame, shame. Now, of course, who turned up to protest? The people who make out like bandits at everyone else's expense from this bill. The people that directly benefited from this bill that are in the vast minority of Americans that did not get slapped with premium increases between 14 and 112%, which I think are the max ranges on both sides. I mean, either way, your health care went up. Unless you're one of these privileged few who had no health care or got subsidized into it where the government now said, OK, we're going to take care of you fully or was able to get some sort of sweetheart deal buying in. So, again, who's there protesting the people that are directly benefiting that, by the way, a lot of them, I guess, don't have jobs or else they wouldn't be there. The people that are saddled with this expense, people like me, people uh, most likely like you listening, those people are at work. They can't take a day off to go and protest this and yell shame, shame, shame at a bunch of senators for no good reason and try to make a big scene out of something where, again, they're basically trying to justify everybody getting screwed just so they can get a little bit ahead and they don't have to. I mean, again, this concept, I can't stand this concept of fair and paying your fair share and all this other shit. It's not fair that they should not be able to pay or they have to pay much more than other people. It's like, well, how is that not fair? Why is your problem my problem? And I don't say that to be cruel. I don't say that to be mean. I just say it as a matter of fact. There is no justifiable way you can argue that I should have to pay for your medical care when I don't know you. In fact, I probably don't even like you. I probably think you're a stupid fuck. Then again, I think most people are. So, you know, just being honest. But again, I, it's not that I'm, I'm cold hearted. I give money to charity. I volunteer for charities. If there's people out there that, you know, I give money to the homeless, even whatever. If there's a charity out there that says, okay, we want to have a pool. If you guys want to chip in for pool to fund these people that can't get healthcare, great. Or you have people that voluntarily have clinics. Rand Paul goes over and operates on people's eyes in Haiti, for Christ's sake. So clearly there's people out there that are more than willing to help. But to say that all of us now have to pay massive amounts of money to cover you and your 10 friends who are the pool that's costing everybody else this money is ridiculous, especially when it's coming and costing people their medical plans. It's costing people five, 10,000 more a year. I mean, I've seen these cases. These are legitimate cases where people, their insurance skyrocketed and they're trying to support four different people where they have four different medical plans and there's no way for them to do it. But God knows they can't try to find a low-cost option or a cataclysmic plan to cover themselves for cheap so they can spend that money on their family. No, because those don't exist anymore. They disappeared because Obama lied about it. Lied about you keeping your doctor, lied about you keeping your plan. But shame, shame, shame on the senators for trying to figure out something better. And by the way, I don't think that 
anybody actually wants to repeal Obamacare except Rand Paul. He's the only one I think that actually legitimately wants to do it. I think the other ones are more than happy to keep it in place, keep the crony capitalist train rolling along. But still, these people are chanting shame, shame, shame when all they're trying to do is find a better way where less people are getting hurt by this horrible atrocity of a bill that has no possible chance of surviving. And as I said last show, when I was talking about the Twitter conflict I had with uh, Joy What's-Her-Face, pretty famous woman, but again, um, you know, trying to go battle back this and try to argue ha- that the Obamacare markets have not stabilized. They can't stabilize. There's no, there is no way for them to stabilize. It's impossible under the basic laws of economics to have them stabilize unless you're just going to make it into universal health care. And then that's still not stable. That's artificial stabilization through taxpayer-funded uh, theft. All right. One more thing I want to add on this healthcare thing. Again, just, just tying into these people that, that are pushing for this. Charlie Gard, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the Charlie Gard story. He's a baby in the UK. His parents were trying to get him healthcare, which is basically a specialized procedure they invented. And this kid's got, uh, issues with his lungs and his brain and his breathing and all the, he's got horrible medical issues. There's one procedure in the United States that's going on right now that is a very experimental procedure, but it could have a chance of revitalizing his brain and giving this kid a chance to live. Now, UK doctors told the parents while the baby was in the hospital that they were not allowed to take him out of the hospital. Essentially, they said this child is now a ward of the state. We have taken this kid. You are not allowed to have him back. You're not allowed to take him to the United States. And senators here and other people, everybody was really pissed off about it. And rightly so. Who can tell a parent that they're not allowed to try and do what's best for their child, especially when that child has basically been been assigned a death warrant and there's one out for this kid. And this hospital, I think it was just saying, I, I, the last story I read, the hospital was saying, we'll, we'll just try it. We'll do it for free. Get him here. We will try it. The UK doctors refused to do it. They said that he was too, he was basically, it was going to be a waste of time. And they wanted this kid to die with dignity. Think about that. I mean, we talk about <laughs> the death panels, quote unquote, death panels here is what these, these asshole progressives are throwing around. Oh, there'd be death panels. Well, look, this death panel of doctors basically assigned this child to die. And they told the parents that to their faces. And even when there was another option that was presented to them, they still wouldn't let the kid go to have a shot at living. And that's what you get when you have a universal healthcare system. That's what you get when you have socialized healthcare. You've got rationing of services. You've got absolute control. But never have I seen a story like this where a child is actually, I would, I would say it's kidnapping. If they're going to keep that child there under the force of the you know, armed security guards or whatever else and, and prohibit the parents from taking their baby and going across the ocean with it to try to get it to service, how is that not kidnapping? I'll tell you how, because of the government's monopoly on violence. That's the only way it can't be kidnapping. And it's still kidnapping, as we all know. But the government will say, well, they're like, well, no, it's we were doing it in the best interest of the child. Right. Best interest of the child. Not in the best interest of the hospital, which didn't want to pay to have him on there anymore. Not in the best interest of the, the uh, NHS, National Health System, that all these Britons are so proud of, that didn't want to pay for this kid anymore to be kept alive. Because he could be kept alive longer. They wanted to let him die with dignity instead. And 
A big shout out to our forum member and a member of our Lions of Liberty Pride, Drake Chavau Lundstrom. I think I always say his name wrong, who posted this follow up. But the UK, it's funny, it's this crazy kind of conundrum where if you ask people in the UK, they did a poll. They said, What are you most proud of as an English person? What do you what makes you so proud about England? And they all like 35% was the top answer said, Oh, the, the national health system, the NHS. And they'll sing its praises to uh, progressives who ask them about it. But meanwhile, when you actually look at the stats of it, it's pretty terrible. Uh, when you actually look at the results that come out of it, pretty, pretty awful. Because while you might be able to get a, you know, see a doctor for a sniffle or something like that, the problem is so many people do go into doctors to see sniffles that it gets backed up. But worse than that, what happens when you have an actual infliction of something like that, a, a serious infliction happen to you, that's when the real trouble starts. Because I was reading this really interesting article from the IEA, or the Institute of Economic Affairs, which is a UK uh, think tank. Now, I want to read to you some of this article, because it was interesting. They just did a, a study fairly recently, too, wherein they were saying, oh, you know what, They uh, this, this study said it was super great. But really, if you look at it from a legitimate standpoint, the UK ranks 20th out of 24 developed countries for cancer survival, 19th out of 23 for mortality amenable to healthcare. And in league tables, the UK consistently ranks close to the post-communist countries of Central and Eastern Europe rather than Western European countries. I mean, they have, this is what's saying that these, the stats, when you actually start looking deep into them, are very telling of a system that is completely inefficient and does not take care of the most sick when they need it. It is all smoke and mirrors. It's basically saying, if you've got a sniffly nose, you can go in and you can see a doctor, but God forbid you actually get sick. And that's what these people are advocating for. They're advocating for a system wherein people die earlier than they should. And remember, the U.S. mortality rates have gone down exponentially, too, over the years. I mean, we've got infant mortality down, cancer mortality rates down. I talked about in a previous episode how they just had a breakthrough wherein they're able to stop cancer from metastasizing. So all of the basically all the indicators are for a lack of a need for this move to go away from universal health care where you've got results that are subpar, where you've got the most needy and the most sick not getting service and not getting provided any medical health care that would actually save them when they get to the point where they need it in a universal health care system and a rationing system. And you've also got technological breakthroughs coming through the pipeline, which will help people. And that's the other thing which pisses me off about these projections in the medical field about, oh, these people are going to lose their health care and, oh, this will cause, these will cause so many deaths. Bullshit. Because medical technology moves ahead much faster than a lot of other technology. And when you have a breakthrough, that can cause a whole domino effect of breakthroughs. So to say this many people are going to die 10 years from now because of this cause or that cause, absolutely ridiculous. Just let the market work. Okay, how's about we turn our attention to the new Democratic sloganeering that's going on the ridiculous 
new better deal <laughs> that they've that they've introduced. It's a, a I call it the new better deal because it's basically the new deal again. If you remember FDR's the new deal, this is the same exact thing. Democrats basically saw that Donald Trump took populism and made it cool again. And they said, oh, shit, you know, we're supposed to be the populace. We're supposed to be the one promising the poor people all sorts of crap that we're never, ever in a million years going to deliver on and tell them that everything's going to be okay and we're going to pat them on the head and, and lick their boo-boos. But, Tom, but Donald Trump did it better than us. So they turn around. Now they have this thing called a better deal. And Chuck Schumer, Cuck Schumer, as we should call him, Old crying cuck Schumer. He wrote a byline for the New York Times, and I couldn't help but laugh because it is completely idiotic on its face to anybody that knows anything about basic economics. Now, granted, I know I'm not their target audience. I know if you're listening to this show, you're not their target audience either because they're going for, like I said, populism. They're going for poor people. They're going for the people that, and this is great too. I posted this article in the forum. It was an AP article wherein this woman, uh, you know, again, I, some people say I'm overreacting, but I don't think so because the media is clearly biased and they are clearly biased towards the liberals. But this article posted, and it basically said within this Associated Press piece, which is supposed to be unbiased, said, well, the Democrats figured out that they, that votes were stolen away from them because voters didn't know what they stood for. And I read that and I went, are you goddamn kidding me with this language? They, the voters were stolen from them? Okay, so number one, I guess Democrats have a, they've got a monopoly on stupid voters, basically, despite all the things that the left says about the hillbilly Republican voters and all these dummies out there that voted Trump into office, apparently the Democrats have a monopoly on the dumbest voters out there. Now, granted, I might not disagree with that statement. I do think a lot of people that tend to vote liberal blindly do tend to be a little bit stupid, and or actually, I shouldn't say stupid, willfully ignorant, and are led by their hearts rather than their minds, rather than any actual uh, intellectual intelligence or investigation into the issues at hand. But again, saying that these votes were stolen because they didn't know what the party stood for. Okay. Well, again, from most of the, what I saw, people knew pretty clearly what the Democrats have come to stand for. And that's promising that they want to pull out of wars and absolutely doing none of that, promising that they want to advance people's, uh, you know, advance criminal justice reform and do almost none of that. Like, for example, Bill Clinton putting through the three strikes rule that put all whole generation of black men in jail for nonviolent crimes. Good job. Maybe voters just saw through the Democratic horseshit that they're putting out there and said, you know what? I want to try something different. I just want to give that a shot. But no, these were stolen votes. So anyway, Democrats saw that they lost some of these votes and they saw that their platform was a stale platform. And they said, we got to do something different. And what they did different is the exact same thing again. Here's what the platform's based on. Minimum wage, pushing, uh, again, doubling down on uh, on racial divides. Uh, they didn't specifically say that, but you know that's in there. But, you know, increasing the minimum wage, that was the big, big tent pole of it. They want to go after pharma companies. And Chuck Schumer was really excited about that, even though that's like a, a one-time or two, two-time example of pharma companies jacking the price up and centers 
basically around Martin Shrekley, who you all know is a scumbag, and uh, EpiPen, which, ironically enough, is a problem caused by the government because the government allowed regulations in place pushed through by lobbyists who are tied in with senators to put regulations in place calling for stricter guidelines on what could be considered an EpiPen and trying to get stuff pushed through the FDA, which made it almost impossible. So it takes five years longer, and then they keep changing the guidelines so that these companies that have better, cheaper products to provide competition to EpiPen can't get in the marketplace. So exactly how are you going to fix that, Dems, other than getting the hell out of the way and allowing deregulation? Oh, that's right. You're not. Anyway, here's what Chucky Schumer said that had me laughing in this New York Times piece. Quote, first, we're going to increase people's pay. Second, we're going to reduce their everyday expenses. And third, we're going to provide workers with the tools they need for the 21st century economy. Now, (laughs) the reason this cracks me up so much is that you've got a guy coming out and the first thing out of his mouth is that he's going to increase people's pay. Now, as we know, If you're not letting market dictate prices that people are getting paid, dependent on what people can and can't pay for a certain good or service, or what a business can or can't pay on a certain service that they're providing and still make a profit and still stay open, basically, there's no way to increase people's pay without bankrupting a business or increasing the costs on consumers well beyond what the market can actually bear. So how then... Does Chuck expect to reduce our everyday expenses? (laughs) If you are artificially pushing the market in one direction by making businesses pay people more, you cannot expect everyday expenses to go down. At best, you can expect everyday expenses to stay at the exact same level Again, as the market adjusts to the new artificial wages you put into place, that is the best case scenario. But you know what usually happens is because if you're artificially shoving something down people's throats, you can't actually have the market adjust in real time. So what's going to happen? Okay, well, number one, as we saw in Seattle, you're going to have people losing jobs because they're not going to have businesses that can pay to keep as many people employed paying those same wages. Okay, so you're going to have job loss. Good luck meeting your everyday expenses without a job. Number two, you're going to have the price of everything else increase because as businesses do adjust, you're going to have them charge more money for consumers. So every single thing, if you're paying everybody more money, especially those who don't deserve more money for the goods and services that cost a lot less money, for example, you're not going to have some guy stirring uh, wood pulp at a paper mill making what used to be $12 an hour. You can't bump him up to $16, $17 an hour and not expect the price of paper to go up. And that's across the board. So all your sandwiches are going to go up. All your cigarettes are going to go up. All your papers going to go up. I don't know. Your paper clips are going to go up. Everything that should cost almost nothing is now going to be much more expensive. Who does that impact more than anybody else? Well, shit, it's not me. It's not Johnny Rich a lot. Not that I'm Johnny Rich a lot, but you know what I'm saying. You know, it's, it's not, it's not the most wealthy in society. They can, they can adapt. They can take that that little gut punch and be like, eh, whatever, ain't no big deal to me, man. I got Raseratis to drive. No. Who's impacted? The poor people you're trying to help. This is a self-defeating prophecy. 
You are basically designing something wherein you cannot win because you don't understand the way the market works. So how are you going to reduce everybody's expenses when everything's going to cost more money and there's no way the market can react in real time to that? So everything's going to cost more than you're making while the market adjusts while people are going out of business. I mean, this is this is basic, basic, basic stuff. And they just don't get it. And then I love this. And third, we're going to provide we're going to provide workers with the tools they need for the 21st century economy. Okay. Well, again, what tools would that be? Because on one hand, you've got certain people like Donald Trump that are trying to get American industry back on track, which basically at this point I feel is a lost cause. Unless we completely got all of the restrictions out of the way, got all the tariffs out of the way, got the minimum wage completely just destroyed, throw it out the window and allowed people to make what they're going to make in the towns like where these factory towns were. You could live off that wage because the factory town had a low cost of living in it because it was all based around the factory. So you're perfectly happy there. But again, that's not the world we live in anymore. Not, not, not that these people have their influence. So what tools are you going to give these people? Are you going to give everybody a, uh, a computer and do a whole electrical engineering course? Are you going to teach people how to make the newest Pong game? Are we going to be designing Pokemon? Are we going to chip over some Japanese children, teach us Americans, uh, the Americans that have lost their job, the textile plant? We're going to say, all right, sit down, listen to Hiroshi here. He's going to tell you how to make the best goddamn Charizard that Democratic money could pay for. No, of course not. There's no way of even knowing what the economy and what the jobs are going to be that's, that are forthcoming here. Snapchat pays like, you know, they've got something like a thousand goddamn employees down the street in Venice here. Two years ago, did you know that was going to be a big job to get? Hey, are you good at, uh, at making stupid photo apps? Can, how, how good of a flower crown can you make appear on a sorority girl's head? <laughs> really? Well, I, you've got the perfect job set for what we need uh, in about two months. Democrats are looking ahead. They're going to figure this out. Yeah, my fucking ass. My ass. That's going to happen. It's just, oh, it's just so, so dumb. So anyway, that's the whole thing. It's just, it's the same old retread. Uh, They just don't get it. You know, it's like if there's one party that's more, more stuck in a sad, sad state of confusion where they can't get out of their own way. I thought it was the libertarians, but I think the Democrats have them beat. I mean, talk about uh, just a gang of screw ups. First, you trot out Hillary Clinton, the least likable, burlap sack, dress-wearing chud of a woman. You know, this woman that just cackles on stage. I People say she's intelligent. I don't see it. I see a woman who's been in politics her whole life, who's got some talking points, and who just relies on cackling and glibness and saying snide remarks instead of actually addressing real issues. Who's a warmonger? So you trot her out there. And then you're shocked when she loses. And you try her, it's her and a socialist. Those are your choice. The most unlikable candidate that's ever ran lost to Donald Trump. And a socialist is what the Democrats ran out there. I mean, hell. Gary Johnson was definitely not great. Bill Weld was atrocious. His well spoken atrocity, though. Uh, <laughs> title of his memoir. 
Hi, this is Bill Weld. Now, when I'm not sticking my face in the freezer and drinking whiskey, I want you to read my memoir that I typed up called A Well-Smoking Atrocity. It's <laughs> my best Bill Weld impression. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, look, at least those guys were governors. <laughs> they had something. I mean, they weren't incredibly unlikable characters. Uh, they weren't snide human beings at the very least. All right. Hey, about this? Let's take a word from our sponsor and I'll be back with a few more hot topics. I firmly believe one of the most important things you can do to protect yourself and your loved ones is to own a firearm. But for a lot of people, buying a gun can be an overwhelming process. There are just so many options and not everyone feels comfortable walking into a gun store. Well, our friends at martinarmory.com are doing their part to change that. Martin Armory was founded with a simple goal to make buying a gun simple and affordable. Instead of carrying thousands of different guns, martinarmory.com only carries 25. This allows them to focus on providing the most popular guns on the market at insanely cheap prices. And now for a limited time, their prices are even more insane as martinarmory.com is offering Lions of Liberty listeners free shipping. Simply go to martinarmory.com, pick an awesome gun, and enter the promo code LIONS. Again, that's martinarmory.com. The promo code is LIONS. All right, we're back in it. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, guys. All right, I want to talk about a little cultural aspect. We do talk about the culture on this show once in a while. So I want to talk about Game of Thrones, mainly because I just had a beef with it this past episode. I mean, I love Game of Thrones. I love the fact that it's uh, unpredictable. I mean, you know, look, I'm not going to give away any spoilers. If you haven't seen it yet, don't worry. You don't have to cover your ears or anything. You don't have to put earmuffs on, but... This past episode really pissed me off. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen, she of the uh, the dragons, the dragon dragon queen, who, to be honest, her acting's not the greatest. A little disappointing in the acting, but still, everybody loves her. Because you know, this show is very centered around girl power. One of the, somebody mentioned that in the forum, and and I, you know, we all know this. Two of the main characters at this point are the queen of the well, supposedly the Seven Kingdoms, Cersei who is a bad, bad bitch, conniving, smart, evil, but a very interesting character and very good at murdering people. And you've got Daenerys, who's kind of this uh, this dragon queen who's kind and good. Uh, you know, that's her, her MO anyway, but, you know, don't cross her. And she's managed to rally a Dothraki horde around her and all this other stuff. So in the last episode, though, I was commenting on on this, you know, I had a thread going to saying that, I was upset because I feel like the writing really fell off in this past uh, couple episodes. And this is season seven of Game of Thrones, where it was just like cringing, eye-rolling kind of crap going on there. And a buddy of mine pointed out that his, actually a couple of guys, Stephen Betts, who's been on the show before, um, you know, great, my my brother-in-law, fantastic guy and a, and a listener. And also another buddy of mine named Andrew, uh, who had commented on my Facebook page, but, but you're pointing out that, the girl power stuff, while fine and good, has gotten a little, it's gotten a little bit overbearing. And, you know, I'm all for it. If you want to have a feminist theme and a great show, that's fine with me. <laughs> which is the opposite, by the way, of what, you know, the goddamn emoji movie, which, by the way, is coming out this, this Friday. And TJ Miller and Robert uh, Corden were out there going, oh, well, you know what? We just we're, we're so excited because this is a movie that has a lot of feminist, you know, feminist points of view in it. We're really it's really pro feminism. And it's like it's a movie about emojis. You have a poop. You have Patrick Stewart playing a poop in it. 
Who are you fucking kidding? Just gonna shake, shake the shit out of you, TJ Miller. God. I've actually done comedy a show with him one time. He's very, I, I do think he's funny. But uh, but now he's become a real progressive twat and it kind of drives me nuts. But anyway, sorry. I just had to get that out. Getting back to Game of Thrones. So again, this this girl power stuff though, you know, and the, and the producers, there's another guy in the forum saying that they, he saw a picture of the producers of women. You know, it was like all women around the table and they're like, check out this photo, guys. And it's like, okay, great. Look, yeah, that's fine. We get it. You've got a lot of strong female characters in this show. You had, uh, what's her face? Stark, you know, the, the mom of the Stark clan, very strong female character. You've got Cersei, super strong female character. You've got Daenerys, super strong female character. You've got Arya or Anya Stark, the little girl who has become a premier assassin, super strong female character. You've got Sansa, the other Stark redhead girl, super strong female character. The whole goddamn show is full of female characters. And you know what? They die at a far slower pace than the men do. It's fine. You don't need to beat us over the damn head with it. And this then this whole progressive push has just started to really come to a head where it was just the thing is, it's show don't tell in writing. That's the whole thing. Show don't tell in writing. We don't need you to tell us that these are fr- strong female characters. We get it. We're watching the show. We've been enjoying this show. If there's, I mean, an argument could be made that this show does more to push forward the feminist agenda than any other one because you're not getting smacked in the face with feminist messaging all the time, which makes you hate feminists. You're just watching a very good show that's well-written, that has great female characters, and that's the way it should be. If you're doing it right, people don't know that you're even doing it at all. That is, that was a quote from Futurama. <laughs> Oh, God. Futurama, what can it teach us? But, I mean, seriously, at this last episode, though, it really became obnoxious because they're like saying these cheesy lines. And then it really came to a head. And I, was, I apologize. I was trying to pull the exact clip because I wanted to actually play it. But it's I haven't been able to find it because of the, uh, the copywriting. I think HBO is just pulling anything and everything off YouTube immediately. But... Here is the quote that really pissed me off. So Daenerys Targaryen is a you know, queen of dragons. She's the princess, but she's a you know, queen princess now, daughter of the Mad King. She's in a room and she meets with this woman in red who had been uh, an ally of Stannis Baratheon. She's in with the Lord of the Light. She's a high priestess and knows these, these prophecies. So she comes in and her name's Mel- Melisandre. And this is what she says to uh, Daenerys. She goes, the long night is coming. Only the prince who was promised can bring the dawn. And then Daenerys replies, I'm afraid I'm not a prince. And then her translator pops up to the side and she goes, your grace, forgive me, but your translation is not quite accurate. You see, that noun has no gender in high Valerian. So the proper translation for that prophecy would be the prince or princess who was promised to bring the dawn. <laughs> and then Tyrion, the uh, the midget character who is the best character in the show, thank God, said something, says, doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? And then, of course, Khaleesi Daenerys, uh, she goes, no, but I like it better. That just was, it, it was so obnoxious. I mean, just so over the top, unnecessary. Let's 
kiss ass to what's going on right now in the world obnoxious. It takes you completely out of the story. Now, in the first episode, they had goddamn Ed Sheeran or Ed Sheeran, whatever that guy's name is, that redheaded singer singing in one of the goddamn episodes. And again, I why? Don't put him in there as a singer. I don't want to see him in there. I know it takes me out of the story. And this crap, this like, well, we better make some statement about transgenderism and not using uh, gender specific pronouns in this Game of Thrones to show him that wink, wink. Hey, we're on your side, pals. You trans it up. I mean, God damn it. Knock it off. Completely breaks the fourth wall to have that in there. And again, this girl power. Oh, it could be prince or princess. Unnecessary. Unneeded. All you did say was, well, that translation may not be accurate. Or you don't have to address it all. Or you could just have Daenerys say, well, it says prince. I'm a princess. And prophecies don't mean shit to me. How about that? How about that? Less obnoxious. Instead of having this gender, no gender specificity in High Valerian for that pronoun. God, shove it up your ass. And in the books, I guess there was some confusion because I did research on this. I wanted wanted to see because my theory has been that as Game of Thrones has progressed and it's gotten away from the books, the producers have more say. You know, I feel like since they've gotten their grubby hands on it, they're going away from the books. They're diverging from the actual character dialogue that was written by George R.R. Martin. And as they've done that, they're trying to weed, weasel in their own little catchphrases. So I said, okay, let me look and see if this is something that he actually wrote. And what I found that it is not like this obnoxious crap that they put in the show where she's, oh, it's no gender pronoun. No, it was just that the translation, basically the, uh, the maester is just like, well, that translation may not have been right. It could be, it may have been uh, mistranslated from, from princess to prince. There you go. That's all. No transgender uh, neutral nouns. None of this. Everybody's got a heavy moment where we slow down and and the show comes to a screeching halt. So we all get a nice lesson in how we're supposed to be uh, reacting to each other. So just really, really pissed me off. I'm hoping that they knock it off. Otherwise, to be honest, Game of Thrones might have jumped the dragon for me. I'm going to give it two more episodes. After that, I think it might just be over it because it's, uh, I mean, it's gotten to the point where the writing's gotten really terrible and it's just not worth it to me. I've got too many other shows to watch. Okay, one last thing, guys, to wrap this episode up. More uh, more things in Progressive that really piss me off. Uh, I do want to talk, so you know what, before I get to that, real quick thing, California. <laughs> so you know it's going to be good. But a, uh, a Democratic Assemblyman had put a bill on the books where he was trying to push through what essentially would have been a third-party uh, adjudicator to look at police shootings or acts where there was excessive force use or people were killed in California by cops. Cause it happens a lot here. This one specific incident, he had uh, seen a video where cops shot a homeless man. They first, they hit him with a car because this guy had a knife. They hit him with a car. Then they shot him 18 times. <laughs> Cause you gotta be sure. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like when Peter Griffin was fighting the chicken and, uh, and family guy, you never know if he's dead. You gotta shoot him 18 times. Opposite of what happens at horror movies where they don't uh, they don't remember to kill the guy enough. So 
he puts this bill out there. He says, look, I want to have a third party that looks at these killings and looks at you know what's going on in these circumstances, because all that ever happens is they go to an internal affairs or they go to a, a, a judicial entity within the police department and the police department goes, ah, it's justified. They did nothing wrong. We all have seen it a million times and it's complete and utter garbage. So this guy had a great idea to say, we want a third party to weigh in on this, to actually make a decision, to, to look at the facts from a neutral perspective and say whether or not these cops did something wrong, whether or not they should be prosecuted, whether or not they should be able to have their immunity waived and get restitution from the victims. But of course, what happens? Ah, oh, goes to the wayside, goes away. All they did is they promised that they were going to study it. Don't you love that? We're going to, well, we don't want to go through, we don't want to push it through yet. We want to, um, you know, we want to wait. We want to see what happens here. And it's just completely ridiculous. So anyway, that really made me sad. It was called AB 284, and they just really gutted this bill. Um, Very sad. So it would have been great to see. It would have been a good precedent to set as well for people all over the place. Okay, last thing to wrap this up. I know this is a very long episode for me, and trust me, I know it more than you. I'm uh, (laughs) very, very cognizant of it. But I do want to talk about one more story that, uh, actually, I think Stephen sent me this story, too. I give a shout-out to earlier. Uh, This was a Vox article, because, of course, it was a Vox article. But it was basically saying how business owners are, in parentheses, literally, exclamation point, dictators. And this piece goes into, basically, Cherry picks very, very specific one-off examples of businesses that have either done something that is ethically incorrect or have business practices that this specific writer finds to be immoral or unjust, and then projects them to all of business to say that workers must unite Unite against the proletariat, essentially. I mean, they're saying that that these workers need to have their rights protected. Never mind the fact that these workers agreed to do this this set job. Never mind the fact that they can quit and go to another job at any time. Never mind the fact that they are getting paid for the time that they're there. So let me let me just break down. Uh, I, I, I pulled a couple paragraphs and then a couple little sound bites that I want to talk about, just citing some of the arguments in this this piece. So here's an, a, a direct excerpt. A vision of what egalitarians hoped market society would deliver before the Industrial Revolution, a world without private workplace government, with producers interacting only through markets in the state, has been blindly carried over to the modern economy by libertarians and their pro-business fellow travelers. There is a condition called hermia gignosa, whose sufferers cannot perceive one half of their bodies. A large class of libertarian-leaning thinkers and politicians with considerable public following resemble patients with this condition. They cannot perceive half the economy, the half that takes place beyond the market. After the employment contract is accepted, where workers are subject to private, arbitrary, unaccountable government. What can we do about this? Americans are used to complaining about how government regulation restricts our freedom, so we should recognize that such complaints apply with at least as much force to private governments of the workplace. For the punishments employers can impose for disobedience aren't as severe as those available to the state. The scope of employers' authority over workers is more sweeping and exacting. 
its power more arbitrary and unaccountable. Therefore, it is high time we consider remedies for reigning in the private government of the workplace similar to those we have long insisted should apply to the state. Okay, so it's completely absurd, this this assessment. She, this person, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't have it open in front of me. I just pulled that one episode. So I don't know if it's a boy or a girl writing this, or a man or a woman, or a, or a trans human writing it, or a, or a gender neutral person. But again, this concept where they're saying, okay, well, you know, we just, it's, it's completely unfair that you have these private governments that are lording over people's lives. And I, my counterpoint to that is that people are voluntarily entering into these associations. You are voluntary. It's not like a government where you're born into a state and you live in that state and escaping that state may be too difficult for you. It's not like you have family that are there. It's not like you have a a restriction on movement where you need to get a visa to go overseas. It's a company. You chose to work there. You were You were able to assess the corporate culture beforehand. And if you don't like it, you're free to go. You could go wherever you like. Unless they have a non-compete contract. And this person does bring up non-compete contracts because, of course, of course they do. And again, non-compete contracts, the majority are in place because they want to protect training. They want to protect corporate intelligence. They want to protect uh, trade secrets. But she's saying that, okay, or he's saying, okay, well, you know, sometimes, you know, like Jimmy John's makes people sign them uh, as well. And again, it's, it's, you know, they've got these contract choices. I agree it's a little bit ridiculous for a fast food restaurant to have it. But at the same time, I also know they're not going to enforce it. And I also know the person working at the fast food restaurant probably getting the job at the car wash down the street. The majority of non, you know, of these, uh, non-compete contracts is for very high level people. So they don't go steal the secrets and work somewhere and then ditch them to go somewhere else or go train somewhere and expend all that business's, uh, time and training, then just ditch out on them four months later because they don't like it and they want to be somewhere else. And again, you chose to sign the non-compete agreement. You didn't have to sign that. And typically, I'm sure, if you're a high-level employee and you're signing a non-compete agreement, you probably have a pretty goddamn good reason to sign it. And that's a lot of money. So again, she's citing, and, and, and by the way, 15% of people in the workplace have them. 15%. So a tiny, tiny amount compared to, to the vast majority of people. But I love that she's also just comparing this, or he, I keep saying it's a she, I, I apologize for that. I, uh, I shouldn't be doing that. This writer, again, citing that these dictatorial policies, like this person cites a using bathroom breaks as an example of a dictatorial policy, wherein employees on a chicken line, you know, going like cleaning chickens or whatever it is at a, at a chicken factory are only permitted so many bathroom breaks, which to me makes sense because you're on a conveyor belt. I mean, you're, you're on a factory floor. There's a line of chickens coming down and you can't break that manufacturing line. You can't break that pattern without it completely upsetting everything else that's going on there. So, of course, you're going to have people that have regular bathroom break times. I mean, this is like every industry. In the restaurant industry, you can't just take a break whenever you want. I was a cook for five, six years. Do you think in the middle of a dinner rush, I could just go to the bathroom if, whenever I need to? I mean, if it was an emergency, then yeah, I guess I got to run and do it, or I got to sit there and piss my pants. I mean, look, to be honest, I've thrown up in the middle of a dinner service before because I was sick. But I could not get away. I had to keep doing it. That's business. That's working a job that you're being paid to work at. This person also, oh, this was one of my favorite examples. This 
Oh, and by the way, just going back to the bathroom example, uh, this writer says that, oh, well, you know what? In these, in these cases, people said they had to wait 15 minutes to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and in very, very extreme cases, people said they had to wait an hour, which again, to me, I'm sorry, I, I highly doubt any business continuously has a practice where people have to wait an hour to go to the bathroom. And if they do, it's because you're short on staff or something like that's happening where it's a one-off crazy situation. But waiting 15 minutes to go to the bathroom, uh, I'm sorry, that's no big deal. That's called life. I wait 15 minutes to go to the bathroom at my own house because I want to finish a, a TV show I'm watching. That is not a problem. And then she also cites, she, God damn it, Brian. Shame on you, Brian. This writer also cites that at Amazon, they don't allow their employees to chit-chat during work. And, and this person is treating this like, oh, my God, what an affront to humanity. You can't chit-chat. I'm sorry. Are they paying you to chit-chat? No? Then shut the fuck up. Because that's your job. You're being paid to do the job. You're not being paid to chat. You can go on your break and chat. I'm sure you have breaks during the day. Now, for me, do I think that it fosters a better corporate environment if you can chat? Yes. I personally, the way I manage my my employees is that I tell them, you know what? I don't mind if you're on Facebook a little bit as long as you get your work done. You need to get this amount of work done. If you get it done, I don't mind if you check your Facebook. I don't mind if you check your Gmail. I don't mind if you're on your phone and you answer a text once in a while. That does not bother me at all as long as the end result is there. But I don't know what these people are doing for Amazon. If they're doing phone calls, if they're doing customer service and they don't pick up the phone because they're chit-chatting, that actually does impact what they're doing. So again, what a stupid example for people that are paying you. If you're being paid for that time, you have to spend that time doing what you're being paid for. Is that a tough concept to wrap someone's head around? And then this other example, this person's saying is like, oh, when you and people are pressured to vote a certain way. No shit. I mean, look, no company can make you vote a certain way. It's illegal. They can't force you to go into a booth and do something. They're not going to send a strong armed guard in there. Now, do companies say, hey, you know what would actually benefit our company if you voted this way? I'm sure a lot of them do. I bet everybody in the oil industry says, hey, you know what, guys? You want to vote for this guy. He's all for oil subsidies. Or Elon Musk probably says, you know what, guys? Make sure, uh, you know, if you're in the voting booth, really love it if you voted for uh, Johnny Dickhead over there and his pro-green subsidies. The guy who wants to take uh, California's cap and trade and, and provide more bailouts to, uh, to old Tesla here in California. That's common. That's not illegal. That's common. And if you did tell your employees they have to vote a certain way or you fire them, that is illegal. And you can go. You can use the government to fight back against that. I mean, Vox, again, proves itself to be one of the most insipid, ideologically perverse, moronic publications in existence. I mean, it's just, it, ah, any, any article you see that's published from Vox, just laugh and close the window. Or laugh at the person that brought it up because they clearly don't know what the hell they're doing. They have no concept of reality and they are completely bought into the progressive worldview, which, as we know, exists somewhere beyond our world of vision where the skies are pink and dinosaurs and unicorns are all fucking in the bushes. And with that, guys, I will end this episode of Electric Liberty Land. I know I did two solo shows in a row. Let me know if you are happier with me doing more solo shows. I get a lot of feedback on the solo shows, people seem to like these better, so I'm mixing it up. I think I'm going to do a little two-on, one-off kind of thing. So let me know, though. I want to hear it. Join our forum. 
Go on Facebook, type in Lions of Liberty, come interact with us. We're all very active. Myself, Mark, Odie, we all are on there constantly interacting with our fans. Please do join the Pride. You can respond to us directly on phone calls. We have a special Pride uh, secret page that we interact on. We've got special content like Rand Pauluses and Minuses for you Pridesters that'll be coming out very soon. And again, follow us on social media. You can tweet at me at Brian McWilliams. Let me know your thoughts on the show. You can follow us at Lions of Liberty. Please do uh, include them as well. And guys, Electric Liberty Land t-shirts are on the store right now. I apologize. We're working out a little bit of an issue. So if you put in an order for the show, we have a a design tweak that we have to make to them. So we have not forgotten. I promise you, your shirts are coming. And I apologize for the delay. We just had an issue with the the print design. And we're just going to get that worked out. And they will be en route anytime now. And you guys can check those out at lionsofliberty.store. Okay, and also give us an iTunes review. Okay. (laughs) All right, from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.